I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause. You have sat on your throne, judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken the enemy. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, O Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. O Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion. And there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked return to the grave, all the nations that forget God. But the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted ever perish. Arise, O Lord, let not man triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, O Lord. Let the nations know they are but men. This is the word of the Lord. Today we begin, uh, we return to the Psalms. We sing a lot, as human beings tend to sing. You may not like to sing personally, but human beings kind of always sung. Um, There's a song from the miracles or the temptations, I guess, Uh, I've got sunshine on a cloudy day. When it's cold outside, I've got the month of May. Although our May, that didn't apply. (laughs) I guess you'd say, what can make me feel this way? My girl. My girl. We we sing about what we love. We, We sing about what has impacted us. We sing about who has reached us and who has moved us. We even sing about what we've lost, don't we? We've, we sing about what we fear. We sing about the things that keep us up at night. Uh, we, we even sing about the things that we desperately long for, the things that we want more than anything else. We sing, we sing victory chants when our sports teams win, and we sing the blues when we lose our job. Or someone close to us dies, or somebody breaks up with you, right? We sing the blues. We sing a lot. And, and actually, God, in his word, by his Holy Spirit, has given us 150 songs. He's given us songs that the ancient Hebrews, like David and Solomon and the sons of Korah and Hannah and Moses, composed Uh, These are songs that were basically composed prayers. They were sung prayers to God. And 
we have 150 of them in the Psalms. Eugene Peterson, the the recent pastor, he said that God speaks to us and our answers are our prayers. The ancient church father Athanasius said that most of scripture speaks to us while the Psalms, the Psalms as as like a a hymnal, you know, like a hymn book in the Bible, as, as a whole iTunes set list of songs, a playlist of songs. John Calvin said, the Psalms are like an anatomy for all the parts of the soul. There's not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. Calvin said, whatever may serve to encourage us when we are about to pray to God, it's taught us in this book. If you are familiar with the Lord of the Rings, before the fellowship is about to go out on their perilous journey, the Lady Galadriel gives each of the members of the fellowship of the ring a very special gift. Turns out every one of these gifts was going to be vital for their survival on that terrible journey. And Galadriel, she gives Frodo a file of light. And she, she calls it a light for you when all other lights go out. And in many ways, that's what the Psalms are for people. A light for you when all other lights go out. Like a flashlight in the dark woods. I've noticed in my own struggles and especially in ministering to other people in their dark moments. Whether they're lying in a hospital bed um, or in a prison cell. Um, or when they're walking a dark valley, a dark path. I've noticed that people respond to the Psalms more personally. Uh, All scripture is good. All scripture in the Bible comes from God and is good and useful for us. What's interesting about the Psalms, though, is people tend to relate to them very personally when they're struggling, when they're going through dark valleys. So we're going to just focus uh, in the warm weather on the book of Psalms. We finished last summer with Psalm 8, and now we're going to pick up at Psalm 9. And as we do that, as we look at David's composed melodic prayer, his ancient prayer set to music, um, we see that David in Psalm 9 is very cognizant of the, the terrible misfortune that human beings inflict upon one another. Did you notice that as you were listening to Psalm 9 being read, how, how human beings really can inflict evil upon one another? How the powerful just take advantage of the weak. How once people, weak people, are oppressed, it is very easy to become forgotten, to never be remembered again. Now, the interesting thing about injustice is from from the Bible's perspective, injustice, and you see this in the Psalms, injustice is not simply a social problem. Injustice is not simply a political problem. It's not simply... um, a humanitarian issue. Primarily injustice, as we see here in David's psalm, injustice is a worship problem. The root of injustice in the world finds itself in a misguided understanding of worship, in a broken sense of worship. People, especially the great and the mighty and the elite and the proud, people tend to forget God. People fail to honor him. People just don't remember God. Typically, the more powerful and wealthy and established and elite you become, the more easy it is 
to forget that you have a creator. That's really what David's uh, illustrating here in Psalm 9. Now, in our society, the secular elites, they insist that we are all the, just the random product of, of a- accidents, right? Evolutionary, random, cosmic accidents. That's what we are. That's what the elite in our society tell us. We're accidents. What's interesting, though, as you read the Psalms and as you read the news and as you follow your social media news feeds, people don't behave like they're accidents, do they? People often behave like they are much more than accidents. People behave like they are gods. People behave as though the world absolutely must listen to them and do what they say and agree with them and serve them. Even people who don't believe in a creator very much act like gods themselves. Now, David insists that in a world where peace and justice are forgotten, in a world where the weak, where the oppressed tend to be overlooked and forgotten, God remembers. God remembers those who do not forget him. That's a good way of summing up everything David sings here in Psalm chapter 9, Psalm 9. And what I want you to see from David's words here, there are two things that we typically forget, but there's one thing that we absolutely must remember. So from Psalm 9, two things that we often forget, and one thing that we absolutely have to remember. First of all, people forget that God is good. It is very easy to forget that your creator is good. David starts in his first two verses by saying, now I want to, as a backdrop, if you remember the first eight Psalms, it was rough, it's rough going. Uh, Psalm 1 introduces us to what the Psalms are all about. And then you read 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, it's rough. It's about injustice and hypocrisy and war and suffering and weakness and tragedy and slander and accusation and conflict. And then we get a ray of hope in Psalm 8. Psalm 8's encouraging. (laughs) And then we get to Psalm 9. And there's a lot of discouraging things. There's a lot to be discouraged about in Psalm 9. And yet it begins with these words, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And later down in verse 11, David sings. Now he's not only saying, I'm praising God, he gets everybody else involved. And he says, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Zion is the original hill on which Jerusalem uh, was founded. Um, and, And the Jews understood that God's presence resided in his temple on the hill in Jerusalem. So when you see Zion throughout the Psalms, that's kind of what it means. So tell among the peoples his deeds, verse 11. Now, the context is unclear to us when we read it, but apparently David was celebrating some type of deliverance. Maybe it was political deliverance as, as a king. Uh, maybe it was military deliverance. Uh, some, maybe it was a deliverance that he faced before he was king, when he was running from uh, Saul, uh, hiding in caves and, and in the wilderness. We're not sure. That's really not important, though. In verse 4, he says, this is why he's praising God. Because he says in verse 4, For you have maintained 
my just cause. You've looked out for me. You saw an injustice uh, afflicting me, and you answered. You responded, God. Therefore, I will praise you. Now, despite, here's what I want you to see. Despite the shameful depths to which his enemies had sunk, David rejects despair. Because right? he doesn't, the psalm doesn't end with verse 2. Ah, praise the Lord, I'm excited. Now he, he talks about the wicked, and he talks about his enemies. And he talks about the, the depths to which humanity can sink, but he chooses to reject despair. Right? Listen to the volition in David's words. Listen to the willful desire to look past the injustice and the danger. He says, I will give thanks. I will recount God's wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in God. I will sing praise. I guess you'd say, what can make me feel this way? My God. That's what David's saying. My God makes me feel this way. This is why I'm singing. Um, when I consider, I just look out at, at this room and... Uh, Many of you I've come to know well. When I just look out at this room and I consider the stories, your life stories, the stories of what you've been through, when I consider our stories collectively as a group of people, man, you know, we sang earlier 10,000 reasons, right? There, there, there are many, many, many reasons to rejoice in God's goodness when I think of what he has brought you all through. You've lost a lot. You've suffered much. Right? You, you have come close to death, some of you. Uh, some of you have been close to things that are worse than death. Living hells that you have to work through every day of your life. Breakups, conflicts, right? lost businesses, lost health, lost resources and finances, lost friendships. And you're here. You, you got up today and you decided, you decided, not because somebody was forcing you, you decided to walk here or drive here and to sit down and to be with God's people and to worship him. You decided to come here to a middle school cafeteria to remember that God is good despite everything that People have thrown at you in your life, despite what you have suffered, despite what you've lost, what you've missed, what you haven't gotten, what you're concerned is going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month. Despite all of that, you are walking testimonies of God's goodness. Have you forgotten that he's good? Have you forgotten that God is good? Not just that he is that he exists, but that he is good. Adam and Eve were tripped up with that one. We forget that God is good. Have you forgotten? Have you stopped praying? Have you stopped singing? If you have, or if you're tempted to, that's okay. Because you read the Psalms, you'll see very quickly, uh, these are real people who were tempted to stop praying, who were tempted to stop singing, because they struggle to see evidence of God's presence and goodness in their lives. If you've stopped praying, if you've stopped singing, perhaps you forgot something else other than God's goodness. It's the second thing that we tend to forget. We forget that God is just. He is good. 
but he's not powerless. He's not a nice guy who's helpless against injustice and evil. God is just. He is thoroughly just. Despite the depths to which humanity around him had sunk, because he, he mentions the nations, right? David talks about the nations. So for an ancient Jew, that would be all the Gentile nations surrounding him in, in the ancient Near East who did not know his God, who did not worship his God, who were pretty much pestering and persecuting him and his people. Ad nauseum. We can understand the nations as anybody... Uh, who does not honor the true God, does not honor the God of the Bible, right? So despite the depths to which the humanity around David had sunk, David rejects hate. David rejects vengeance. He says in verses 7 and 8, the Lord sits enthroned forever. He established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness, imagine a judge who was purely righteous. Hmm? He judges the peoples with uprightness. It's not the same word, righteousness and uprightness. Some of your translations, instead of uprightness, probably say equity. The original Hebrew word meant to be level. So God's the kind of judge that when he judges, his justice is, is level. Think of... Think of Think of an unlevel scale, right? Think, think of the ancients when they would weigh things and, and there, there'd be, you know, the, book, the books were cooked, the books were fixed, the scales were, were, were unevenly set so that, so that a merchant could make more money. When God judges, when God makes decisions, when God responds to the wicked of the world and the evil of the world, his justice is level. There's no imbalance, There's no prejudice with God. There's no bias with how God sees the world and how he responds to what's going on in the world. His justice is level. It's not weighted, okay? And the interesting thing about this, too, is what David sees is that when God sits on his judgment seat, he's there forever. He's he's not there like our Supreme Court justices where, where, you know, you're like, okay, you appoint a justice and, you know, in 10 to 20, 30 years, justice dies and somebody has to replace her. Somebody has to replace him, right? Not, it's not, God's always on his seat. He never gets off of it. He's always there. Unhypo- not hypocritical, not biased, not weighted unfairly. And this is what's in David's mind as he sees what's going on in the world. And then in verses 15 through 18, uh, he, he talks in such a way that he reveals something ironic. And I really think it's neat. He says, the nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to the grave. Uh, the, The Hebrew word was sheol. The underworld. The place you go when you die. Okay. Um. The wicked, David says, are going to be left there. They'll return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. And the irony there is this. Those who forget God and those who forget the oppressed will themselves be forgotten. Because David believes, yeah, I'm going to go... 
I'm going to die and my body's going to end up in Sheol. My body's going to end up in the grave. But if you read Psalm 16, David said, God's not going to abandon me to the grave. The wicked stay in the grave. The nations stay in the grave to be forgotten. But David knew God's not going to leave me there. God's going to remember me in the grave and raise me up. The grave is not the end for me. And the irony is that those who forget God and those who forget the weak and the needy and the poor and the oppressed, they will be forgotten. But those who are forgotten now, those who are needy now, will not be forgotten in the end. They will not be forgotten by God who pleads the case of the widow and the orphan and the alien as we see throughout the Old Testament. And so David's conclusion is that God is worthy of praise. God is worthy of not only our praise, but our joy, our happiness. And it's because he's not only, not only good, but it's because he's just. He's the forever judge who remembers our needs, who remembers the needs of the weak. So have you forgotten that God is just? Do you struggle to believe that? Not only that he's good, but that he is just? Have you embraced hate? Have you embraced, because of what's happened to you in your life, vengeance? Payback. The goodness of God and the justice of God are two things that we forget about. But here's something David talks about that we absolutely must remember, and I think it's the remedy for all of that forgetfulness. We must remember that we're human. You, you need to remember that you're human. And, and I don't, I'm not trying to be cute. Uh, this is significant. What does David say in the very end of his song in verse 20? Let the nations know that they are but men. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, when Adam and Eve reject God's authority and glory and his good justice, and they decide to follow the serpent, and they make themselves you know, self-appointed king and queen of creation, uh, God came to them and said, okay, well, I still love you, but you can't stay here anymore. You got to go out and sweat and struggle through childbirth. And, you know, you're going to have bread and food, but you're going to you're gonna have toil now. Work's not going to be good anymore. Work's going to be a struggle, right? And one of the things he said to them was, and in the end, you're going to die. He said, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And see, so David's saying, God, help people see that they are dust, and that they are returning to dust. We read earlier of Hannah's prayer. She rejoiced and composed a prayer to God when she found out she was going to have a baby. And uh, she said, talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. That was Hannah's response. Don't be so arrogant, because there is a God, there is a creator, and he weighs what we do. He weighs our actions. He weighs human history perfectly, justly, right, evenly. Moses wrote a psalm. And it's recorded in Psalm 90. Moses wrote a song. It's recorded in Psalm 90. And this, this is very interesting. I, I came across this, Psalm 90, verse 12, uh, during one of my, one of my uh, illness bouts. Uh, John Piper, the preacher from Minnesota, 
Apparently, he had struggled through cancer himself, and he wrote a really helpful little pamphlet called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Now, it is the last chapter in his book on uh, the sovereignty of God and human suffering. It's on our book table. Uh, but in it, he, one of the things he does is, is he says, you waste your tragedy, you waste your suffering, if through it you forget that your days are numbered. That's actually a benefit to know that your days are numbered. And that's what Moses said. Who considers the power of God's anger and his wrath? Right? But this is what Moses said to God. Teach us to remember our days. Sorry. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So, so from Moses' perspective, how do you get wisdom? You, know? you, you get wisdom by knowing your, your life is short. And you're going to return to the dust. You're going to be in that grave. Um, that you don't, have, you don't have forever to just do what you want to do. The day is coming where all your plans and all your activities are, are, going, to, are going to end. Death is the great leveler. Okay? And, and so w- the reason numbering our days is so important is because it reminds us. It reminds us that we are finite we do, we, we do have an end. Death is coming. Unless Jesus comes back soon, we're all going to die and be in the grave. Okay? And, and, and so the blessing of suffering and the blessing of struggling, according to David and according to Moses, is suffering helps us to number our days and be, rec- be cognizant of the fact that our time is limited. And now we can get wise. Now we can develop wisdom. Now we're ready to know we're just human and we need our creator. Here's the scene on the planet as David sees it. Some people inflict hurt upon the weak. Some people are just bullies in the world, you know, in your classroom or on the playground or in politics or in government um, uh, or on your, in your neighborhood. Some people are just bullies and they inflict hurt upon the weak because they lust for dominance or because they want vengeance and they just hurt people. Others may not be that way, but others may be apathetic. Other people, other people may overlook the weak just because they're worried about, they're focused on themselves. They, they want to be safe. Uh, they want pleasure and leisure. They want to enjoy themselves. They're all about self-preservation and so they overlook the needs of the weak and the poor. Uh, nonetheless, you have, you have bullies and you have enablers, David understood. And that's just kind of how, that's kind of the story of history, isn't it? But everybody, regardless of whether they're a bully or, we, or whether they're an, an enabler of the bullying, right? Uh, regardless, everybody tends to forget that they're accountable. That's, that's what numbering our days helps us to see. Not only that our time is limited here, but that we're accountable. I really think all of this forgetfulness, it's just a form of unbelief. Forgetting God is good. Forgetting that God is just, it's a form of unbelief. Uh, You may think you're a very religious person, but practically live like an atheist. Practical atheism, functional atheism, is saying, I believe in a God, but acting like he doesn't exist. Acting like, He doesn't care about what you do and what you say. Acting like he's not concerned about your plight and your struggle. And very religious people, people who say they believe in God, they they act like atheists all the time. I I have counseled men, husbands, fathers, 
who know the Bible very well. I'm not talking about any of you here. I'm talking about in the past. Uh, the, the younger our church is, I can say that. You know, like 10, 15 years from now, people will be like, is he talking about me? Um, uh, but I have counseled men who know the Bible almost better, better than I do, who have verses memorized, who know their theology so well, who act like atheists. Uh, they don't say they're atheists, but they treat their wives and children. They treat their friends. They treat other people in the church. They treat their neighbors as though God is not holding them accountable for how they act. It's really just a form of unbelief to struggle with the goodness of God, to struggle with the justice of God. And it's okay. The psalmists were tempted to think that way, but, but they chose to reject it in the end. And so David, this is what's so cool. David remembers, right? He, he, he doesn't stay in unbelief because unbelief, that's the root of injustice. That's where all injustice comes from. People don't think a creator holds them accountable. That's where injustice comes from. Nobody thinks that they're going to be held accountable. So David says in verse 13, this is interesting because David, he doesn't play that game. He rejects that way of thinking. He says, be gracious to me, O Lord. See my afflict. This is a king. This is a successful military leader. Think about the kings and successful leaders you know in the world and how many of them think this way. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death. Here is a leader who knows his days are numbered. Here is a leader who recognizes he has enemies. He has people who can harm him and inflict damage upon him. And he reaches out to his creator and says, Oh, be gracious to me. David knew he needed his creator. David didn't forget. Why is that? How, how is that possible for somebody to remember that God is good and that God is just and to not choose hate or vengeance, right? To, to not choose despair despite everything he went through. Well, there's, a, there's something we have to remember. Not only, not only should we remember the fact that we're human, that, that although, although we're glorious... <laughs> Uh, we're still fallen, although we're intelligent and advanced and, and wealthy and happy and beautiful. We're still created beings. We're creatures. Okay? There's something else we need to remember. We need to remember that God remembers. We need to remember that God doesn't forget. Verse 20, you know, David, David closes out Psalm 9 with a prayer for justice, doesn't he? And he ends that prayer by saying, Oops, I went one, one slide ahead. David said, let the nations know that they are but men. Verse 20. And, and I really think that that prayer for justice, he's saying, let the nations see that they're, you're going to hold them accountable. I think that's also a mercy. I think that's a merciful thing to pray for. It's a mercy. It's a good thing to know your true condition. Don't, don't you want to know? Don't you want the doctor to tell you that you really are sick so that you can be cured? Right? You, don't, you don't want a doctor that just wants to be nice to you and is afraid to tell you the truth because you'll be dead in six months. Right? You want him to level with you. And so what, this is the real situation. And only then can you get well. So it's actually a mercy to say, God, would you let everybody know that they're just human? Would you remind me, God, 
that really, uh, as, as impressive as I think I am, you know, I'm just a human being and my days are numbered and I'm returning to the dust. That's actually a good thing, okay? Uh, that, that would be humanity's greatest advancement, to know that we're just human and that our days are numbered and that we are accountable to a creator. The best, th- the best thing God could give you in this context is a reminder that you need him. Sign of weakness, so what? You need him. You're weak. You're not perfect. You need him. It's okay to say that. That's what David's saying. The king, the military general, I'm weak. I need you, God. It's okay. We're weak. We're needy. That, that, that's all God's trying to help us to see. You're weak. You're needy. You need him. He created you. Jesus came and after he was tempted in the wilderness, he shows up in the synagogue and, and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, right? And he reads, he reads from Isaiah chapter 61 and he says, this is all about me. And what did he read? He, he, he read this. Oh, I didn't, I didn't actually put it up here. He read, and this is Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim, listen to this, Good news to the poor. You don't think that's about you? You think that's just about people who have very little money in their bank account? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. Literally the poor. And figuratively, you. And then he went up on a mountainside. And he taught from the mountainside. And he said on the mountainside, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Luke's gospel, it's just, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He puts it all together. You know, whether you're like poor financially or whether you know that you are a needy creature, blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. David does the same thing. David in Psalm 9 doesn't differentiate between those who seek God and know they need him and those who are actually socially, politically, economically oppressed. He puts them all together and he says, those who know they are needy are ready to acknowledge that there is a creator and that they need him. I think that's why Christianity is exploding in the global south and in the third world and dying in the west because we have become too rich and too smart and too educated and we have forgotten that we need God. And Christianity is for people who know that they are poor. It was radical when Peter and Paul went out into the Mediterranean world and said, hey, even if you're a slave, God sees you no differently than your owner." If you're a woman, God sees you the same as he sees your husband. If you're a Greek, God sees you the same way as he sees a Jew. And and that's why Christianity grew. Because God's justice is level. And he, he equals the playing field. There's something that Paul said. And Paul was a big shot. Paul knew he was talented and smart, the Apostle Paul. He was a gifted guy. He knew all that. But listen to what he said, and we read it earlier from 1 Timothy chapter 1. He said, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Right? Paul said, I'm the biggest. I'm an, yeah, I was an impressive guy. 
but I'm the biggest sinner I know. So Paul actually discovered that he needed, he needed God, right? So, so this is why Jesus came, to preach good news to those who realize that they are poor and needy and need to trust in him. Jesus is proof of God's justice and goodness. Can you see that? You know, Jesus hung on a cross so that you would not have to. All of your sinful forgetfulness, you have been forgetting that God is good all your life. We have been forgetting that God is just all our lives. And, and that, that forgetfulness, that unbelief, is exactly why Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. That's why, we, that's why we suffer. That's why we get sick. That's why we go into the grave. Because of that unbelief. And Jesus hung on a cross to pay for that penalty. Our unbelief deserves damnation. And, and the cross is evidence of God's justice. He, he dealt with that injustice. He dealt with that unbelief on the cross. And the cross of Jesus is also a sign of God's goodness because... God remembered you. He didn't leave you in your condition. Jesus is proof that God sent you a savior. I I hope you will see in Jesus the justice of God and the goodness of God, the grace of God and the truth of God coming together, finally coming together. David just hoped for it. But but Jesus shows up and it's a reality. And yeah, we're still going to struggle and people still hurt one another. And, and, and we read the news and we get on CNN and MSNBC and, and Fox News and, re, Fox news and re, we read tweets and re, we read Facebook and we get so discouraged and frustrated, right, with how people in the world are treating one another, right? We get so frustrated and so discouraged and yet we have the same hope that David hoped in. There's injustice now, but God will remember. God will remember and deal with injustice and God will remember the oppressed and the weak. And if you're suffering, God will remember your suffering. And in the end, when your body is in the grave, as David said in Psalm 16, you will not abandon my soul to the grave. That's the hope of Christianity, that, that God remembers those who do not forget him. Now, how do you remember God? You, th- you think you're smart because you remember God? No, he reveals himself to you. Paul made it very clear that Jesus, Jesus revealed himself to Paul, and that's why Paul knew that he was the chief of sinners. That's why Paul knew that he was needy, because God, God showed it to him. So don't even be prideful in knowing that you're needy. <laughs> that's nothing to boast about. If God shows you that you're needy, it is a mercy. It is a gift. It is a grace. Because now you can trust him. You can stop playing God. And you can trust God. Admit, maybe for the first time in your life, or maybe just for the first time today, or for the first time in the last week or month, admit that you need God. Admit it. And really start trusting him. And rejoice in his goodness. Rejoice. Rejoice in his goodness. Rejoice in his justice. Maybe we can be a church where, where we like to rejoice. We are glad. We are glad despite what we suffer, despite the way the world is right now. We are glad because God is good. We are glad because God is just. Let's pray. Father, we ask, we ask that you would look upon our weakness and that you would look upon 
the suffering of those who have been forgotten in the world and in our community, uh, those who are oppressed and weak. And we ask that you would bring them relief. We ask that you would give them the gift of forgetting about themselves and remembering you. Father, bless the afflicted with hope that you will redeem them, that you will not allow their needs to go unnoticed forever. Thank you that you met our needs and you saw our neediness and you sent your son Jesus. And in his name, we have hope in your justice and we have hope in your goodness and we pray and we live and we sing in joy. Amen.